This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, The Heart of Islam, and the author is Stephen Blanton, and Stephen joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Stephen. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, great to have you with us. This is an incredible book, lots of research, and it gives us insight like I have seen in, in, in no other place about what really is going on in this Islamic religion, a Muslim's religion, you say this, my book exposes Islam's goal of world domination, details Islamic strategies for war, and encourages readers to help Muslims of goodwill escape to the world of peace. It also lists the steps necessary to stop Muslims' onslaught. Well, those are very strong words, Stephen. Uh, tell us about your research. Tell us about your motivation. Uh, give us the bottom line here so we can see what you're saying is true. Well, first of all, I worked in Indonesia with Muslims in 1975 to 1977 on the Indonesian domestic satellite system. I taught their engineers how to operate and maintain uh, ITT, Satellite Communications Earth Stations. They were my friends. I ate with them. I traveled with them. Uh, they invited me into their homes to meet their wives and children. They talked about their religion with me. I was certainly welcome in Indonesia, and I left many friends behind. Twenty-five years later, Muslims I had never met, they attacked the world Trade Center, and as most people know, they murdered 3,000 of my compatriots. I could not understand how they could be Muslim. In, in fact, at first, I didn't believe it. And then Muhammad Atta, who was the leader of the attackers on 9-11, he published his last letter, and he proved conclusively that these attackers were not only Muslim, but they were devout Muslims. I could not reconcile that. I could not rest until I figured out how one group of Muslims could be so hateful and murderous, and another could be so, so friendly and kind. I looked at the news media, and I got only confusion. I didn't get explanations out of the news media. The government spokespeople, they were no better. The Internet was even worse. If you look at Internet posting subject of Islam, you will find that they're extremely biased, whether or not they were written by a Muslim or a Christian. And I was extremely frustrated because I couldn't find out what motivated the attackers on 9-11. So I set out to do my own research. I spent six years... I purchased three English-language translations of the Quran. I studied them verse by verse, and I cross-referenced them. I sought and found two ex-Muslims who were willing to work with me and look over my shoulder and make sure that my conclusions 
were on target. They reviewed the manuscript. I also consulted missionaries to Islamic states. They also reviewed the manuscript, and all of them insisted that I publish the truth about Islam. Well, this is brash, as you put it, certainly not politically correct. Uh, there's no other book that exposes Islam's goal of world conquest. I guess that's, that's a hard thing for us here in America to understand that the overall goal of the Islamic religion is world conquest, and the Quran just spells it out. Yes, that's true. Most people have seen Muslims uh, resort to violence if, if they perceive that anyone insults the Quran. That is their holy book. They believe that it was revealed by the angel Gabriel to Muhammad, their prophet, word for word, and that therefore it's infallible. So first of all, everyone needs to understand that they believe that their holy book is without fault. If you know that, all you need to do then is read the Quran, and you will find that the verse that motivates Muslims to fight until they conquer the world, and this found in verse 839. I can uh, quote that. I'm not reading. I, I'm going to quote it from memory. Uh, fight them on until justice and truth prevail and there is faith in Allah altogether and everywhere. This is the verse that the jihadists quote when they behead a captured infidel. It's the one that they use to motivate their jihadists to go out and attack again. It's used over and over again in the Islamic world to justify attacks against non-Muslims. Now, this doctrine really requires all, I mean all devout Muslims, to fight, uh, to fight for the support of their wars of conquest until every person in every country converts to Muslim or is subject to Muslim authority. That's absolutely true. Uh, Allah promises sensual pleasures in paradise only for those Muslims who are wounded or killed while fighting infidels. And, of course, infidel is anyone who's not a Muslim. We are all infidels as Christians and Jews. He also promises unmitigated punishment in hell for all eternity for those who refuse to fight. So it's clear that Allah commands all devout Muslims to fight until everyone on earth is a Muslim, or subservient to Muslim authority, or dead. Who is Allah? Is he the same God that Christians and Jews worship? Is, is that what, I mean, you hear that often. Absolutely not. The God of Christians and Jews is the God of love and peace. And you know, God commands Christians to love him and to love their neighbors as themselves. The Muslim God is a God of hatred and war. Allah commands Muslims to fight until every person on earth is a Muslim, enslaved by Muslims, or dead. Allah commands Muslims to kill Jews and Christians, murder them. So Allah and God cannot possibly be one and the same. So why don't the 
conservative or moderate Muslims speak out against these terrorists that uh, are their extremist brothers? They fear for their lives and the welfare of their families. The penalty for not fighting is death. The only, the only excuse that a Muslim might have for not fighting is if, if they're too old or they're lame or blind. There is an out for them, however, if, if they choose not to go on the front lines and fight, they can give their property, they can give of their time, they can use their taxi to transport uh, terrorists to the attack sites. They, they, as long as they are directly supporting uh, the worldwide jihad, then they're okay. But if they refuse to fight or to help, they will be threatened as apostates and they might well be murdered by their Muslim brothers. When you do your research like you have, and when you look at history, which uh, seems to always repeat itself, when you look at the history of, Isl of this Islamic religion, if you look at Muslim military action, it's very clear, isn't it? Yes, it is. Uh, Muhammad himself... Um, planned the first attack against the world in AD 624, and this was only 14 years after the founding of Islam in AD 610. And, and since that time, Muslims have been attacking and conquering, and in fact, in the first 125 years of the existence of Islam, Muslims had conquered much of the civilized world. Now, what are the rules of Allah concerning females? The Quran makes it very clear that females are inferior to males, and males are to subdue them. The Quran refers to men taking females as a tilth, and it ends that as the topsoil that's ready for planting, and to take them whenever and however they will or wish to, Allah says that they can marry one, two, three, or four of them. And he tells females that they must dress modestly. And he tells the males that if they don't obey, then they should refuse their bed, first of all. And if that doesn't work, then to beat them. So it's, it's very clear that in the Quran and in the Muslim world, that females are inferior. The most striking thing to me is that there is no place for females in the afterlife. The Quran talks about males entering uh, paradise and receiving rewards for fighting. There's nothing about females. Now tell us about the growth of the Muslim population across the world and uh, also, the proliferation of the building of mosques. Saudi Arabia has built 900 mosques in the United States since 1980, and there are currently a total of 1,200. There's more than that in the UK and in France, and mosques are used, unfortunately, uh, to plan attacks to help the, the followers of Islam to infiltrate the institutions of freedom in our country, our, our schools, our universities, the FBI, the CIA, uh, 
so the growth of Islam is is primarily in America due to the Saudi Arabians' money, that's oil money, going back to building mosques and then teaching their hateful ideology to Americans that they entice into to going to these mosques. I, sh I should also point out that Muslims surpassed Catholics in number in 2009. And you can imagine the, the population explosion it is not going to stop if Muslim men can marry up to four wives, each of them bearing three to six children. And Western women, many of them, practice birth control and abortion. Native populations are actually decreasing at the same time Muslim populations are exploding. Today, Muslims represent 23% of the world's total population. By the year 2050, if current trends continue, they will represent one-third of the world's total population. Is Europe on the verge of, a, of an Islamic takeover? Yes, it is. In fact, I believe that uh, in 50 years, um, Europe will be Islamic. And what about the United States? We hear a lot about Sharia law even being uh, upheld by our own court system. What in the world is going on? It's very dangerous for the United States because most Americans are unaware of what we're talking about today. And part of that is due to the fact that uh, the Islamists are master propagandists. They have promoted the ideas of political correctness and diversity. Political correctness, of course, is pervasive in our society. Uh, it's difficult sometimes for me, when I'm trying to promote my book, to even say Islam. I see people's eyes glass over. And, I, and certainly I can't say anything negative about Islam. That We have been so indoctrinated in this country that, that we can't... It seems that we can allow Muslims to murder 3,000 of our compatriots, but we can't say that Muslims murdered 3,000 of our compatriots. And that is insane. Yeah, they were just these crazy ones that happened to be Muslim. They're just the, the extremists, the jihadists, so that wouldn't apply to all of Muslims. Yes, that's the propaganda that they've been successful in convincing Americans that a few extremists have hijacked Islam. That's not true. In fact, the fighters are devout Muslims. They are not extremists. They're devout. So how do we help our Muslims, Muslim neighbors? Uh, we all know them. Uh, they seem to be good people, just like regular Americans who want to have the best for their families. Uh, they want to enjoy the American way of life. How do we help them see what really is going on here, where they can hopefully uh, escape, as you put it, to the world of peace, which, as you have so aptly described, uh, a Muslim does not live in a world of peace if he is devout. I'm, I'm really glad that you asked that question. We do need to reach out to all of the Muslims that are in America more than 80% of them, I would say well over 90% of the ones in America, are not jihadists. I call them Muslims of goodwill. 
because they're not fighting. They fear for their lives, they fear for the, their families, and they refuse to fight. And so they've taken one step in rebelling against the hateful ideology of Islam simply by not participating in jihad. I like and respect every Muslim I've ever known. Of course, I did not know the attackers on 9-11, but I do like and respect every Muslim I've ever known. And I know that, like you said, they're just like anyone else. If you have a Muslim neighbor, I would tell you to go to that neighbor and invite them over for dinner, uh, invite them to a social event you probably will find that they would be happy to do that and that they are just ordinary people. Certainly don't fear them. If they are among the jihadists, the hateful ones, the fighters, the killers, you will know within a few seconds. They will not come to dinner. They will, will not you. They will show you nothing but hatred in their eyes and they probably will insult you. So it's a, real, it's a simple test. Just reach out to them. Try to befriend them, and if they cooperate, take that as far as you possibly can. Hopefully, someday, they would consider abandoning Islam, and you can welcome them into the world of peace. The title of the book, The Heart of Islam, and the author is Stephen Blanton. Stephen, tell us how to get your book. www.stephenblanton.com That's S-T-E-P-H-E-N-B-L-A-N-T-O-N And also you can get it through Author House and I'm sure on any online retailer, just ask for it. I really appreciate you being with us on Author Talk, Stephen. It's a pleasure. Thank you. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Innovation and insight, problems and solutions, capitalizing on your ideas and efforts. That's all a part of Changing the World One Invention at a Time with Rick Rowe. Thursday evenings at 6, 5 Central on Toginet.com. Rick will be sharing stories of innovation, invention, inspiration, and overcoming obstacles with guests who have been there, done that, and are doing that. Rick will be asking the right questions helping you identify the real problems and showing you how to act on your ideas by increasing consumer confidence and, more importantly, increasing your confidence to act on your ideas. For even more information, go to thinktech, that's T-E-K, globally.com. Then join us as Rick and his guests teach us how to develop new ideas and create new products, new businesses, new jobs. And together, let's get our economy growing again. It's changing the world one invention at a time with author and inventor Rick Rowe. Thursday evenings at 6, 5 Central on Toginet.com. Y'all wave your hands, look who's on. It's the Coded Man Keith and he's number one. Now you might think Juan's youth was sad. Right. Cause he had a death kill, mommy and dad. Right. But that ain't the case, nope. it wasn't his fate. Nope. The Juan's never struggled to communicate. Ha. Y'all wave your hands, look who's on. It's the Coded Man Keith and he's number one. It's That Keith Wine Show on Toginet.com, Wednesday nights at 8, 7 Central. Every week, That Keith Wine Show will have guests that share their experiences, expertise, opinions, and personal lives with us to hopefully help us better understand others. The topics and guests will come from the American Sign Language community. For more on Keith Wine and the show, go to his website, KeithWannWann.com. 
Listen with an open mind and willingness to learn and help with the cultural bridge. Number number one, Keats number one, everybody clap because the Coda Man's on. Number number one, Keats number one, everybody clap because the Coda Man's on. Don't miss that Keith Wine Show. Wednesday nights at 8, 7 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, This Is My Doggy Life, and the author is Dolores Hestad. And Dolores joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Dolores. Hi, Steve. How are you doing? Well, we're really getting two books for uh, this interview because we're talking about This Is My Doggy Life, but we also have This Is My Kitty Life, right? Yes. Everyone will understand what's going on here. Uh, it is an ingenious album, I guess is the best way to call it. Uh, everything under one cover, like a baby book. Uh, you say this, it's from the birth of your dog or cat until the passing of your favorite pal and pet. It's about having everything in one area, in one book. Dog or cat history, medical records, behaviors, achievements, pictures, concrete memories, and milestones. So it is an ingenious way to have everything in one place. Well, how did you come up with this idea? Well, you've seen we have this cute little dog, Shadow, of course, and he just is different than any dog we've had. And I thought, you know, he does such cute things, and he's so much fun. I would, I was driving, and just this came to me that said, I wish I had a book to write all these things in and, and some pictures to put in there. So they're not, my pictures are everywhere in different albums, and this way... I can keep everything together, and then his medical records I should have all together. So I went home and started thinking about it, and I got more serious and just started writing. And then now I've got his book almost filled up, and it's so much fun to look at. I I enjoy it myself. So it's just a wonderful keepsake. It's a great thing to have for your own, about your own pet, and it's a, a great gift to your friends and ma- family members. Definitely. People that love their animals love to show them off. So a good way to show them off. <laughs> exactly. So it's a like the first day at home. You you got pictures plus you could write things about them. Right. And then his adventures or the exercising he might do or um his first things that he got when he was a puppy and maybe even uh little pictures that are your favorite you want to put in there. The book is is uh soft so the photos don't make it all bulky it stays very nice and flat easy to carry around and a very important thing is vaccinations yes and you keep that record and their weight you can put that in there and if if they have go to a special veterinary for a disease or allergies or anything like that you can put that in there and dates when they were born and the dates that they had their last vaccination or when they went to the doctor for something special it can all be kept in that book and if you have to leave your dog with a sitter or something you can leave that book out and everything is right there for him so it's called again the the title of the book and there's two books here this is my doggy life or you can get this is my kitty life and how do we get the book dolores get the books off my website which is www.dolorasanimalmemories.com and Dolores is spelled D-O-L-O-R-E-S. 
And it's on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, ArthurHouse.com. Or they can just go on Facebook and look it up, too, just to get an idea about the book. Uh, This is my doggy life, and this is my kitty life. You might want to put in some special journal entries. I guess that's what we could call these, about special training that the dog might have had. Right. And I do lots of times just call it, you know, a journal. It can be a journal. It can be like a baby book. It can be, you know, your favorite memory book. A place to just keep the memories of your dog, which down the road we do forget. And you, this way you've got it all written down, and when something happens, you can always go back and... You've got these memories of your dog from the day they're born until they're passing. So there's lots of information in there, and you can always show your friends, look back on years later. Well, just like like a baby book under one cover, it's just this wonderful keepsake about your dog or cat. I guess about any animal that you might, uh, another pet, whatever pet you would like, you could put in this. Oh, I'm sure you could. Change it around, you bet. Any other thoughts and closing thoughts, Dolores? I just um, I just think it's a great book for people that love their pet, and it's so much fun to look at. They make great gifts, and, and if you travel, you can take it with you and show all your friends and people away. It's fun to look at. People love looking at them. They're just fun to look at and fun to keep and cherish forever. You can read about Shadow in my books on This Is My Doggy Life, and this is my kitty life, and my blog, Dolores Hested at Posterous, P-O-S-T-E-R-O-U-S dot com, and on Facebook, a video out. It'll be on YouTube. You can look at it, and it shows Shadow and part of the book on that and some of the pages of the book. Well, it's so easy to take pictures, and it's so easy to uh, collect records, and most often we always forget where they are, don't we? We do. <laughs> Been there, done that. (laughs) (laughs) So here they are in one place. Well, it's a great idea, Dolores, and congratulations on uh, this unique keepsake. This is my doggy life, or you can get This is my kitty life. Her name is Dolores Hestad, and she is the creator, the author of this unique keepsake for your pet. Thanks, Dolores, for being on Author Talk. Thank you very much. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. People think I've made it. I'm popular. I seem happy all the time. I have great clothes and I'm involved in everything. But I have questions, doubts, and fears, just like every other teenager. That's why I'm glad for Teen Talk Radio, where it's all about choices. Join us for Teen Talk Radio with Nicole O'Dell, Thursday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. The choices we have to make that can alter the course of our lives. Life is too much pressure if we try to go it alone. I tune in to Teen Talk Radio with Nicole O'Dell every week to get reminded that I'm not alone. Nicole O'Dell is an expert on what happens in the lives of teenagers. Join her as she deals with topics like peer pressure, purity, drugs, alcohol, and many other things that might come up along the way. She writes books and speaks to people all over the place, but she says her favorite moments are when she can pull up a chair and chat with teens about what's important to us. For more information on Nicole and her books, go to NicoleO'Dell.com. Then join us for Teen Talk Radio with Nicole O'Dell, Thursday nights at 10, 9 central on Toginet.com. Teen Talk Radio, where it's all about choices. The American Rock and Roll Countdown with Alex Prime. 
So where were you in the 1970s? Well, this Saturday morning, we're going to flash back to the 70s as we count down the classic hits with the American Rock and Roll Countdown. You'll hear news and information and stories about the artist and what was going on during the specific week that we highlight. So be sure to join us at 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time this Saturday on Toginet for the American Rock and Roll Countdown. The American Rock and Roll Countdown on Toginet. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Fishing with Cinnamon Rolls, A Widow Does Strange Things, and the author is Joanne Brown, and Joanne joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Joanne. Hello. Good to have you with us. This is an incredible story, uh, your story, a journey through some really, really tough times, but there's a happy ending to this, and we're going to get into the details. Let me uh, read a couple of things you have written. You say this, can laughter and joy be found in heartache and sadness? Can God really be so real in everyday life? Again, reality proves more exciting than fiction. This is a young widow's true story of laughter and tears, mishaps and success, wrong choices and right ones. Left with three sons, one in grade school, one in junior high, and one in high school, she has to take seriously the task of putting a roof over their head, clothing them, and feeding them. Well, that goes back... When you became a widow, we go back into the 70s, right? Right, that's right, 1970s. You were, you were a young woman. I was just in my 30s, yes. He died when he was 42. Okay, your husband passes away, and so this is the story, your story after his passing, and, and this is your third book. Uh, why, what was your motivation, Joanne, to publish this one? To help anyone else that faces single parenting, to let them know that they can make it through. Yes, there are the big mountains to climb and maybe smaller hills to climb, and sometimes there's level planes of life, but a lot of times it's straight up, and that's what you went through, didn't you? Yes, yes, I did, and um, they need to know that even... Though in the 1970s, we were discriminated against a lot, that now laws have been passed that they can't do that to us. And how were you discriminated against? Well, one of the things was that you couldn't get a credit card at Macy's or at Penny's or Sears if you were single. They just had a policy that they wouldn't give it to you. Okay. maybe some other young man um, that was married and high in debt and didn't make as much money as you did could get a credit card, but you couldn't. So at that time, when your husband passes away, he passes away uh, pretty suddenly, right? Right, from a heart attack. He was out jogging with our boys. So here you are, one moment having a husband and, of course, all the things that we take for granted, all our savings accounts, checking accounts, our bills, all the things that we have to face every day in life to make sure we have food on the table and have a roof over our head, all of a sudden that's upside down. 
That's right. And even more um, devastating was the fact that our life insurance policy said that he had to die after 65 or I didn't get the um, pension. And so I got $5 and I think it was 62 cents or something like that a month instead of two-thirds of his salary. So that was in the small print that nobody saw, I right. guess. Wow. Right. And he right. And he was a pastor. He was a minister, huh? And you had been on missions and you know in other lands with him. In fact, he had had some uh one of your missions is where he first started having bad health. He had a heart attack on the, in the jungles of South America in Paraguay. It must have been difficult uh, for you with all your faith because of your service with your husband and, and involved with him in uh, pastoring and ministering. It must have been difficult, though. Uh, why me, God? Oh, yes. I shook my fist in his face uh, and said, it wasn't so, me, so much me that I was feeling sorry for. It was my boys. And I said, how could you do this to my boys. Uh, but luckily, he's big enough that he can uh, take care of our little temper, temper tantrums and love us anyway. Yeah, you say one of the themes of your book is, quote, life can go on after your heart is ripped out, unquote. Now, I'm sure others can relate to that. When you feel like just your whole life has been destroyed. Right. Then you have to remake your life again. So how did you do that, Joanne? How did you reconstruct your life? Well, I think the first thing you've got to do is figure out the necessities. What is it that I have to do to put a roof over our head, to put clothes on my boys, to put food on the table? And so I changed jobs many times in order to get a better salary each time. So you have because, to you have to take it, I guess, one day at a time, one week at a time. Right, right. And you have to make a lot of choices, and a lot of my choices weren't the best. Uh, but you have to just give yourself credit for doing the best you can. Now, you also say that. Raising kids alone is possible. Some might not think that they could do it alone, uh, especially those who have enjoyed that kind of uh, companionship, that partnering with a, a spouse to raise the children. All of a sudden, they're gone, and you've got, like you, you see, you had one in grade school, one in junior high, and one in high school. So how, how long did it take for you to, I guess, accept the fact that you were alone and you had to do this? Well, I think the very first night I didn't go to sleep until I tried to figure out who I was because the first thing you've got to figure out is who you are. You're not a minister's wife anymore. Um, you have to, you're not a wife anymore. And so you've got to figure out who am I? And so did the answers come quickly or were they slow in coming? Coming. Who are you? Well, no, they came that night before I went to sleep. And I figured out I was a child of God, and that's what I was and would be. 
and um, that helped me to realize that I wasn't totally alone here. I did have some help. It just I couldn't physically see the help I was getting. So we're never alone, are we? Even when we think we're alone, we really are never alone. That's right. And that can be very reassuring, but we have to exert our faith, and that's what you did. I had to do, uh, every time I asked the Lord, and he seemed to be able to tell me, and I, if, if I listened, uh, sometimes I argued with him. In fact, I argued a great deal with him. But he was very patient and uh, would let me know who was in charge, and it wasn't me. Now, you also have a key message about friends. Boy, friends are so critical, especially when we're in that dark tunnel and we can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. That's right. I had, you have to have your uh, support group, and uh, my support group were my friends, and uh, that really did help me. They, and you find others who have gone through the same thing you have, and that supports you because you think they made it, I can make it. Well, this is a this is some kind of a event that happened that you used as a highlight for this interview. I I've just got to ask you about this. <laughs> it says this uh, to to uh, highlight a scene from uh, your book. It says the time in the basement laundry room at my condo when a stranger took off his clothes. <laughs> What in the world was that about? Well, when I had a condo, the uh, laundry room was in the basement. And I went down to do my laundry, and this big old burly guy came in and started taking off his clothes. And then he stepped between me and the door and was taking off his clothes, and I knew I had to get out of there. But I knew I, he was too big for me to fight off. And so I waited till he pulled down his undershorts, and I knew his feet would be tangled. And so <laughs> then I ran out. Oh, my goodness. The things that happen when uh, we're alone, but you were rescued, weren't you? That's right. That's right. So you know that God answers your pleas for help, even when it's scary. That is right. He does indeed. And you, you say you feel sorry for people who think they have to live their life alone. That is, uh, that would be terrible. That would just be, that would be scary, wouldn't it? Well, there's a lot of them that turn to drink or a lot of them that end up in the same asylum. And sometimes when you're full of grief and your tears go on and on and on, you have to really hang on to, um, uh, yourself because otherwise uh, you can lose your sanity too that's correct that's for sure now even in the worst circumstances life can be fun now how how did that work out for you uh, that's one of your messages how how would you explain that well i read in the bible where it says that we are supposed to in fact we're commanded to be happy and smile. And I also read where it says that that keeps you healthy. And they tell you that a widow is uh, subject to uh, uh, 
deathly disease or uh, deadly disease within the first two years, and that's because they don't laugh and that you need the laughter to keep you healthy. And so I figured my boys did, too. So we sharpened up our sense of humor, and they like pleasant for all of us. But you feel guilty laughing. Well, and, and in the midst of that laughing, uh, you also realize that God has a sense of humor bar none. Oh, yes. Like when I asked him to, to um, drive my car one time because I was so tired, and I had worked, I was working in a uh, town a hundred miles away from home. And I was so tired coming home, I asked him if he would please drive, put his foot on the pedal, in other words, because we didn't have cruise control then. And he did, but he wouldn't go over the speed limit, of course. And so I finally, I wanted to get home, so I said I'd take it back, and I put my foot on the gas and went clear to the pedals, clear to the floor, and the car would not go any faster. And I thought to myself, well, I should have known he wouldn't go over the speed limit. (laughs) (laughs) You have been down the road. You have been in that dark tunnel, not able to see the light at the end of the tunnel. But you have learned, no doubt, and it's documented in your book, Fishing with cinnamon rolls, a widow does strange things that not only is God there, but you have the power with, I guess, your faith to accomplish just about anything, right? Anything that needs to be done, you betcha. So you also learned that God is very patient with you. Yes, very much so, and that he loves us more than we can even imagine. Well, we appreciate you, Joanne, being with us on Author Talk to share your very unique story, uh, a story of going down a path that you probably never, ever imagined you would go down. That is true. So tell us how to get your book, Joanne. You can get it on um, eBay. You can get it on um, Kindle. You can get it from Amazon.com. You can get it from Powell or Barnes & Noble. You can get it from a Christian bookstore. Quite a few places. <laughs> Again, the title of the book, Fishing with Cinnamon Rolls, A Widow Does Strange Things, and the author is Joanne Brown. Joanne, thanks so much for being with us. Well, thank you. Thank you.